You know, a lot of people talk about the problems in our country, but CNN is offering a solution. Hysteria. Yes, according to CNN, hysteria, especially when combined with mindless rage and deep stores of ignorance, are what we need to turn this country around. With hysteria, you can take almost any problem and turn it into an excuse to deprive individual Americans of their rights and replace those rights with expert bureaucrats who have proved their mettle by turning Europe into a violent and moribund society and turning Washington into a helpless giant tied down like Gulliver by internal divisions and red tape. Do you feel helpless when you hear about a shooting at a school? Do you ask yourself, what can I do as an American? CNN has the answer. Become hysterical and hateful and ignorant. You might say, wait, shouldn't I calm down and gather the facts and listen to both sides before making a decision? Absolutely not. Why do that when you can listen to a shrieking lynch mob of one-sided know-nothings on CNN and then panic and do the wrong thing? Are you annoyed that 13 Russian trolls made largely useless efforts to confuse our electoral system? Do you say to yourself, how can we make sure that doesn't happen again? CNN knows. Hysteria, hatred, and ignorance will clean that problem right up by exposing ordinary Americans to ridicule, bullying, and potential violence, especially if they voted for someone CNN doesn't like. But CNN isn't just suggesting solutions like hysteria, hatred, and ignorance. They're helping to bring those solutions about by staging fake town halls in which angry activists scream obscene insults at people who know what they're talking about until cowardly elected officials overreact and deprive you of your rights. Thanks, CNN. There's a reason CNN is the most trusted name in news among people running to catch a plane and wondering why CNN is played in all the airports when they're an ugly, dishonest, leftist trash bin of ill-conceived notions and largely false reporting trying to gin up hysteria, hatred, and ignorance while you're just trying to catch a damn plane. And that's something to be proud of if you're hysterical and hateful and ignorant like CNN. Trigger warning. I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Claven Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy, the world is a zing It's a wonderful day, hurrah, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray. Oh, hooray, hurrah. All right, we're back the last day before the Clavenless weekend. These weeks shoot by, and then it's like, you know, you shoot by, and then you fall off the edge of the universe, and you're plunged into Clavenless darkness, uh, possibly forevermore. Not many people come back from the Clavenless weekends. They come crawling back over the, you know, over time as they, uh, those who have survived. Uh, you could listen to Another Kingdom and stretch it out a little bit. Uh, I would love it if you show up and listen to the podcast I did with uh, Michael Knowles, a fictional uh, thriller, fantasy thriller that's on iTunes or or wherever you get your podcast, Another Kingdom. Today, we have Sebastian Gorka. You know, I wanted to do what CNN did last night. I wanted to gather a bunch of people with scripted, stupid questions, uh, angry, emotional, over-emotional people who don't really know very much about an issue, and have them scream at people who really actually know what they're talking about. Uh, but we just couldn't arrange that in time. We couldn't get enough hateful people here. Uh, so we will have Sebastian Gorka, who actually does know what he's talking about, and he'll talk to us about the tweets that... Uh, President Trump put out today on gun control, which sounded like he might have shifted a little bit. I'm not quite sure. And uh, we talked to him about Obamagate. This is the thing that I just feel is, you know, it's always, always, always have to cover the news. But what I want to be talking about is what we now know about the last administration and how it, you know, abused the levers of government to, to uh, curtail 
political rights and political speech in this country, I think, is now all coming out after the press buried it. And I'd just like to know what it's about and what the, what the ramifications are and how much is being fixed and whether Donald Trump is doing anything about it. Meanwhile, though, I know that while you're watching the show, the thing that, you know, you want to concentrate on what I'm saying, but you just can't get over how great I look. You know, you think, like, God, I don't even know what he's talking about. He just looks so terrific. And the reason is I work out constantly. I'm constantly exercising. And one of the best ways you can get exercise is by using Beachbody On Demand. Beachbody On Demand is an online fitness streaming service that gives you unlimited access to a wide variety of highly affected world-class workouts personalized to meet your needs. And they also, at Beachbody and Demand, you can get extensive nutritional content, which is really useful. It's proven to help people achieve their health and fitness goals. You don't just get to look like Andrew Clavin. I'm sorry. You know, that just isn't something that happens to you overnight. Beachbody on Demand is what you want to give you a, a total package with familiar brands, uh, P90X, Insanity, which is the aptly named <laughs> exercise program, 21-day fix, all these things you've, uh, I'm sure you've heard about. Uh, it is what what you do is you text 303030 and you can get a free trial membership if you text Andrew text Andrew to 303030 it will let you give the service a try you can see it you know what I like about it too is you can take it with you so when you go to uh, a hotel or something like that if you have your phone with you you can do it you'll get full access to the entire platform for free. All the workouts, all the nutritional information is free if you text Andrew 303030. Beachbody on demand if you want to look much, much better than I do. (laughs) Or Or even close. So, you know, earlier this week, we've been dealing a lot with the way the press takes events that are emotional and interesting and turns them into crises in a way that, in their hopes that you will give up your rights. As the left always says, no crisis should go to waste. And so the left is always trying to make everything into a crisis. And as I pointed out, crime rates are down, they're way down, gun violence down, you know, more guns, less crime, just true. The trolling of a couple of Russians. Did, you know, the funny thing about the Russian trolling is they didn't introduce any ideas into the electoral process. They simply took care of, you know, they simply uh, latched themselves on to divisions that were already there. So if you were a Trump supporter and you showed up at a Trump rally that the Russians happened to plan, you were still doing exactly what you would have done anyway. And it didn't really work very well. And they just gin this stuff up into a crisis because they're hoping to undermine Donald Trump, do anything they can. Yesterday, though, wonderfully, kind of delightfully, not only did CNN take this absolutely into the stratosphere. I mean, absolutely into a stratosphere of corruption and ugliness and dishonesty. And Jake Tapper, you should be ashamed of yourself to even participate in something like that. But while they were doing that, Donald Trump, who, listen, Donald Trump can be as divisive and as unreliable. He can do all this stuff. But Donald Trump, he is an expert at television. And so what he did was he met with the survivors, not only of this latest shooting in Florida, but of other shootings, and sat there and listened listened to them and listened to what they said. And what was the difference between the two things? The hysterical lynch mob on CNN was scripted, and the people who were talking to President Trump were just saying what was on their minds, and Trump left the cameras on and let people visit with them. You know, earlier this week, I, we went to Knucklehead Row. Do we have Knucklehead Row? Let's play. we got to play our Knucklehead Row song. Knucklehead Row is the op-ed page of the New York Times, and we like to go there to get, like, the heart 
the beating heart of the left in the hopes of grabbing hold of it and ripping it out of it, like in the second Indiana Jones movie. So here's, let us travel back to Knucklehead Row for a minute. So earlier, earlier in the week, we took the chief knucklehead, the knuckleheadiest of the knucklehead on Knucklehead Row, Paul Krugman. And I read this column he wrote about how there's only one side in America, essentially. The, the right is now so hateful that they're not even to be spoken of. He says, the character flaws of the party end up being echoed by the character flaws of its most prominent members. Are they bad people who choose their political affi affiliation because it fits their proclivities or potentially good people corrupted by the GOP company they keep? Probably, he says, some of both. In any case, let's be clear, America in 2018 is not a place where we can disagree without being disagreeable, where there are good people and good ideas on both sides. It's not that place. Whatever other bipartisan homily you want to recite, this is a nation ruled by the worst. Okay, that's you, by the way. That's you, Paul Krugman is talking about. Thomas Friedman, also on Knucklehead Row, also one of the top knuckleheads, on the, on, uh, among the knuckleheadiest knuckleheads on Knucklehead Row, Thomas Friedman uh, had this to say about our president, and his, this was, he was talking about the fact that he didn't react to Vladimir Putin. He didn't attack Vladimir Putin after it came out that, there, that 13 Russians had been indicted, not convicted, indicted. But Trump is not that bothered by this. And here is Friedman overreacting to that. People are worried about our country. This is America. Our country is at stake. Our president is a disturbed person, and he's behaving in ways that are simply inexplicable, uh, that tell you that he is either compromised uh, because the Russians have been funding his company in ways that uh, he's, he would find embarrassing if publicly disclosed. That's why he hasn't shown us his tax returns. Or he's compromised because of maybe behavior he engaged in while in Moscow. Or he is simply a towering fool um, who is ignoring the advice of his intelligence chiefs being made in public. And when his national security advisor is over in Germany um, at a conference, rather than summoning him home to lead a response to Russia, he rebukes him for not properly uh, you know, supporting the fact that th these things didn't tip the election. I I'm not saying they did tip the election. I have no idea what the impact is, uh, one way or another. What is unacceptable is that this behavior continues and he is not responding. So either Trump is uh, in somehow in debt to the Russians, he did something in Moscow with the Russian hookers, or he's you know got some bad loans to his company from Moscow. We don't know what it is, but Trump is a Russian spy. And the, just the fact that he did not overreact to this indictment, which again is just an indictment of people who will never be tried, will never have this case proved. The fact that he didn't overreact means he's an unstable, terrible guy and our democracy is in danger. And that's just Friedman saying what he wrote already in the, his, his column on Knucklehead Row. The interesting thing is, even if you try, David Brooks kind of went to the New York Times under the, the disguise of being a conservative, but He's not really a conservative. He believes that being a conservative is wearing like a blue tie. That's what he thinks being a conservative is. And he really is a, a mild-mannered kind of, he's kind of a liberal. He worshiped Barack Obama. He never he covered for Obama when Obama lied. But he writes this column called Respect First, Then Gun Control. Okay, so he wants the gun control. But he says, 
if you want, this is still a knucklehead row. So if you want to stop school shootings, it's not enough just to vent and march. It's necessary to let people from Red America lead the way and to show respect to gun owners at all points. There has to be trust and respect first, then we can strike a compromise on guns as guns and not as some sacred cross in the culture war. He wants to reach out. The left went nuts on Twitter. They were cursing him out. Somebody, uh, Damon Linker at The Week, wrote a column called America's Addiction to the Politics of Anger. And he said, he said more than a few people online seem to think that this David Brooks column was a provocation to outrage. He says a th what he thought is a thoughtful liberal professor responded, what if Brooks had written this column about segregationists rather than opponents of gun control? So what if he had, then he would have been wrong, then he would have been wrong, but now he's right. He could have done so while barely changing anything else in it except the subject. I mean, it's, it's like insane. This is a thoughtful liberal. Anyway, the linker goes on to say the problem is that the list of things that people on both sides of our ever wider and ever deeper partisan divide consider to be just plain wrong grows longer with each passing day. The right thinks that raising taxes or expanding access to affordable health care infringes on the inalienable right to property, just as proposals to regulate or restrict gun sales transgress the inviolable right to bear arms, rendering these positions unconstitutional, immoral, and un-American. The left, for its part, thinks that favoring lower levels of legal immigration and deportation for those who entered the country illegally, and maybe just the act of voting for Donald Trump, constitutes incontrovertible evidence of racism while opposing abortion on demand is a sign of sexism, upholding the sexual morality of historic Christianity is homophobic bigotry, and allowing the easy purchase of AR-15 rifles is barbarism. How did we get here? And that's always the next question, and that's always when they start to blame Fox News, which he does in this column. It's always like, yeah, we're terribly divided, and it's all Fox News's fault. Let's take a look at that after we talk about Skillshare. Skillshare is another online uh, service where you can get all these videos that teach you how to do stuff. I have used them. They have all kinds of things. Uh, 18,000 classes in design, business, technology, and more. You can take classes in social media marketing, illustration, mobile photography, anything you want, you name it, they've got it. You pay one fee and then you can watch the entire class. It's not like one of those things where halfway through, just as you're getting into it, you, they say, oh yeah, and it's double for the last class. It doesn't work that way. I've used them. I, I tested them out by uh, doing their writing, some of their writing classes, which I thought were absolutely terrific. They really were stuff I wish I had known when I was starting out. But I've also used them when I did Another Kingdom. I used their podcast uh, classes just to find out how you do a podcast if you don't have all the brilliant people at the Daily Wire surrounding you. Uh, it's just really useful. And even if you just want to take up a hobby, there are all kinds of things like photography and that that you can learn from watching these videos. You can join the millions of students already learning on Skillshare today with a special offer that's just for my listeners. Get two months of Skillshare for just 99 cents. That's pretty good. One buck two months. You get to test the whole thing out. Skillshare is offering the Andrew Clavin Show listeners two months of unlimited access to over 18,000 classes for just 99 cents. To sign up, go to Skillshare.com slash Andrew. Again, go to Skillshare.com slash Andrew. Two months for 99 cents at Skillshare.com slash Andrew. We got Sebastian Gorka coming up, and we're going to stay on, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't subscribe, you cheap I'm sorry. Uh, so let's let it. We have to look. What, what was wonderful last night is CNN holds. What do they call it? A town hall. It was a lynch mob. A lynch mob of people, all of whom agreed. And if you don't think all of them agreed, let's start with the crowd. Okay. They start talking about 
assault rifle. No, it's semi-automatic bands, I think they're talking about. And the crowd goes nuts. Just listen. These are two instances spliced together. Uh, cut five. Common sense solutions like getting the assault rifles off the streets. Start looking at how easy it is to get around it. You would literally have to ban every semi-automatic rifle that's sold in America. That's what fair enough. That's a, first of all, you know, this is it's so dishonest. Not only is the crowd packed, but they're ignorant. A semi-automatic, I'm not even a gun guy, but I know a semi-automatic, all that means is when you pull the trigger, it reloads. So you don't have to, you know, what, that would leave Winchester 76s. That's what you'd be using. Like in Jimmy Stewart in an old Western, you'd be cocking the gun every time. And maybe maybe they want you to stuff the, like the, uh, the revolutionary soldiers to stuff the gunpowder in with a rod. You know, it's ignorant. That's never going to happen. So why are they cheering? Why are they cheering that? Because they don't know what a semi-automatic is, because they were pulled off the street. They were selected to do just what you saw them doing. And how do we know that? Because there's one kid who wouldn't go on. Colton Hab was a, um, a ROTC kid at the school shooting in Florida. He used their Kevlar uh, mats to protect students. He was a hero kid. He wanted to go on and talk about what he wanted to talk about, but no. And this is the local Channel 10 reporting on this, uh, on Colton Hap, who just refused to do their scripted routine. I expected to be able to ask my questions and give my opinion on my questions. But Colton Hobb, a member of the junior ROTC who shielded classmates in the midst of terror, says he did not get to share his experience. CNN had originally asked me to write a speech and questions, and it ended up being all scripted. Colton wrote questions about school safety, suggested using veterans as armed school security guards, but claimed CNN wanted him to ask a scripted question instead, so he decided not to go. I don't think that it's going to get anything accomplished. It's not going to ask the true questions that all the parents and teachers and students have. So, so who do they get? Of course, they get all these activist kids, and they behave despicably. Now, the thing is, I get it. They're emotional. They're out of control. They're, <clears throat> they don't know what they're talking about. So why are they on TV? And they are on TV because CNN is practicing a form of child abuse called using traumatized kids to sell your political position. It's a terrible thing to do. It's an immoral thing to do. And they do, now these kids have done immoral things on television that they're going to have to live with when they calm down and realize what they've done. Here is, uh, in cut six, Jake Tapper, formerly, uh, the man formerly known as a journalist, is, is sitting there while this kid essentially associates Marco Rubio with the shooter, as if Rubio were just as bad as the shooter. Senator Rubio, can you tell me right now that you will not accept a single donation from the NRA in the future? I wish I could have. I wish I could have. Uh, I wish I could have spoken. I wish I could have asked the NRA lady a question. I wish the NRA lady I, I could have talked to because I would ask her how she can look in the mirror, considering the fact that she has children. But you know, maybe she avoids what those. Is that? I'm sorry, but I don't freaking know. I mean, that's. I mean, and Tapper just sits there. Well, again, ignorance. The NRA doesn't 
people don't support the Second Amendment because the NRA gives them money. The NRA gives them money because they support the Second Amendment. Again, these are the tools of ignorance. This is taking advantage of their ignorance to sell this routine. What are they cheering about? What are they cheering about? Marco Rubio su supports the Second Amendment, so he gets money from the NRA. Why should he turn that down? The NRA is supporting your gun rights, your rights. And talking about the girl from the NRA that he wanted to confront, that's Dana Lash, who is a, a terrific girl. I really like her. But she she was getting attacked uh, by, she had this other student who's attacking her and saying, you're not a good mother. I'll, I, I would support your kids, but you're not supporting my kids. And when she starts to answer back, because she really knows her stuff, when she starts to answer back, they call her a murderer. I mean, you could listen to this crowd. This is, a, you know, you know, lynch mobs are why people have guns. So this is just a good example of why you should always go armed because the, this, these are the people CNN want take, running your life. Uh, this is cut number three. You can shout me down when I'm finished, but let me answer Emma's question. It is not federal law for states to report convictions to the, the NICS system. It's not, it's not federally mandated. We had three lawmakers on this stage, and only one of them hinted at reinforcing the background check system. It is only as good as the record submitted to it. Only one of them even got anywhere close to mentioning that. We have to have more than 38 states submit records. That's number one. Number two, we have to develop better protocol to follow up on red flags. So, so this really makes me want to give up my gun. You know, when I see this mob shouting murderer at Dana Lash, that makes me think, yeah, oh, I'm safe in my rights. I'm safe in my home. I'm safe in my constitution. You know, this makes me want to go out and get, like, mount a Gatling gun on the top of my house to keep these people away. CNN just pulled its pants down. I mean, this is the thing. It's like, in some ways, in some ways, we should be glad that they came out and showed what hateful, dishonest, disreputable people they are at that network. You know, that, that, that really is good for us. I think the NRA must be, like, just standing outside with bags to put the money in. This must be flowing into them at this point. Meanwhile, meanwhile, Donald Trump sits down with people and in this incredibly emotional uh, moment lets them say the things that they have to say. Gives he did, There was no scripting there. Maybe, maybe uh, he had notes, but there was no scripting there from the people, and he let them say what they had to say, and some of it was just, I mean, it was heart-wrenching. Let, let's just play this student, uh, cut number 11, just to let you know what, what Trump, he left the cameras rolling, and he let people see him taking this kind of blast. Me and my friends, we get scared when a car drives by. Anywhere. I don't understand. I turned 18 the day after. Woke up to the news that my best friend was gone. And I don't understand why I could still go in a store and buy a weapon of war, an AR. I was reading today that a person 20 years old walked into a store and bought an AR-15 in five minutes with an expired ID. How is it that easy to buy this type of weapon? How do we not stop this after Columbine, after Sandy Hook? I'm sitting with a mother that lost her son. It's still happening. Now, that story that he tells, which Chris Cuomo touted on CNN is not true. That's not a true story. That's CNN spreading uh, misinformation, dishonest stuff. And, and now it goes back to the Trump. But at least Trump sat there and took it. You know, he actually sat there and, and sustained the blast. And one of the things he said was that he wanted to have 
teachers trained so that they were on the site. I mean, most uh, most shootings take a few minutes. The cops can't get there in time if you have people on the site. You know, one of the parents got up and said, we had 9-11 and we solved the problem. Why haven't we solved the problem here? Well, after 9-11, they put armed men on planes. <laughs> there were more guns on planes and you don't know who they are. And that was one of the ways. Have we got Sebastian Gorka? Excellent. Let us bring on Sebastian Gorka and talk to him about what happened next. Uh, Sebastian Gorka is uh, a military and intelligence analyst, Fox News strategist, and former deputy assistant to President Trump. He's also the author of the New York Times bestseller, Defeating Jihad, and he is at CPAC. Are you at CPAC? I am. I'm hiding in the green room, Drew, to do this interview with you. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. They never, they never invite me to CPAC, but I've, the one time I was there, I enjoyed it. It's a, always a really nice event. It's beautiful. It's nice to see all the young conservatives show up. Uh, it gives, right. you, gives you hope. So this morning, uh, President Trump tweeted out that he said, I'll be strongly pushing comprehensive background checks, something I think most of us support. We want this. He says an emphasis on mental health. Um, he wants to end the sale of bump stocks, something the NRA supports. I don't know how useful that will be. But he also says, I want to raise the age to, of buying a gun to 21, something the NRA will never support and most people don't support. Is he going soft? Do you, do you worry about uh, Donald Trump in this regard? Do you think he's going soft on this issue? Look, as an avid pro-gun Second Amendment guy, uh, not really, because he's hit the nail on the head. You've outlined it. It's clear from your autobiography. It's even clear from you know, your fictional work like The Kingdom that you understand evil exists. Yeah. Evil isn't, isn't just you know, something in fairy tales. It walks the earth. You can never eradicate. On this earth, you will never eradicate it. That's what communists said they were doing, and look what they did. So um, what we have to have here is a realistic approach to how you deal with that evil. And it's not the gun. It's not the inanimate object. When the president says the mental health issue is key here, he's absolutely right. There's no legislation that will stop a terrorist. There's no legislation that will stop a bank robber. And guess what? There's no legislation that will, which will stop a mentally impaired individual who's paranoid or schizophrenic from killing other people unless we do what? Have a system that identifies them that helps them, that reaches out to them. Since the 1970s, Drew, thanks to the left and to actually a Supreme Court decision, it is almost impossible to adjudicate somebody as mentally deficient, so they must be inst inst institutionalized. Right. You can base, it's basically impossible. Look at New York, right? Look at the streets of New York. Look at the beggars. A lot of those people would be where? They would be having three square meals in a mental institution being helped but you can't put them there for more than 72 hours. And some of them are what? Kids who need help. They'll steal a gun, they'll steal a car. It, it, it bears repeating. In France, 82 people were murdered by a man who stole a truck. Right. What legislation is going to stop that? No, you Nothing. can't. So, yeah. and, and sorry, just to finish your, your, your key question. You have to understand something about the president. The left will never believe, never believe to their dying death the dying breath. He's a compassionate man. He is a massively compassionate man. He loves this country. He's an outsider. He's an iconoclast. But when he sees those children who are victims, who've survived, it pulls on his heartstrings. But at the same time, he's a pragmatist. And I think that's what his tweets talk to. It's not about fracturing the base. It's about a pragmatic response to a crisis, not in gun rights, but in mental health.
I want to. I, I completely agree with this, and I think the crisis in mental health and homelessness is—it's insane that that's not what they're covering at this point. But I want to ask you one more question about this, and then I want to move into some of the news that's coming out about the Obama administration, what they did while they were in office. But I want to ask you one more thing. I, one, one got the feeling with Ronald Reagan that if his entire cabinet had been stocked with communists, he still would have been against the Soviet Union. Now, you 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 left the Trump administration feeling that Donald Trump was being surrounded by people who were not maybe as supportive as of his agenda as you were. You thought that maybe that they would come back and some of these people would leave. I don't see I don't see that happening. Maybe I'm wrong. Do you worry that he is is not as grounded and not grounded enough in principle so that he can be swayed by the wrong voices? I don't because he has a truly preternatural instinct to do the right thing. Mm. And I'll give you an example. And if I shared this last time, I apologize, but, but maybe I didn't. I had a cabinet member tell me, and I, I'm not going to say who it was, that on the Jerusalem decision to move our embassy, only three members of the president's cabinet supported him. Mm. Three members. Right. And at the end of the day, despite what everybody else was telling him, it's going to be a disaster, there'll be crisis, our embassies will be in flames. The president said, you know what? I promised the American people. I promised our friends Israel. Oh, and by the way, it's the right thing to do morally. So I'm going to do it. It's stunning. I mean, it's truly stunning. So that's why at the end of the day, however deep and broad the swamp is, I have faith in this man because his instincts are good, Drew. You, you've made the point that he learns on the job. He does yeah. that. He learns on the job. But his instincts, his default instincts are almost always right. You know, uh, you're, you've always been such an eloquent defender of uh, this administration that I, I hate to tee you up. Like, <laughs> I, know, I, know, I hate to give you uh, questions in your wheelhouse, but I can't help it. I mean, I've been watching the revelations that have been coming out about the Obama administration and on top of that, I've been watching the press working to suppress the information to keep the public from learning what happened during the Obama administration. I now think it's perfectly fair to call it Obamagate. The, the way, wh what do you feel, without overstating it, I mean, don't push it, just what do you feel we know at this point about the way Obama used the levers of power to uh, attack Donald Trump during the campaigns? It's so difficult where to begin because we can go back to the IRS. We can talk about all kinds of things. Yeah. If we just talk about FISA-gate, and I agree, Drew, we should be calling this Obama-gate. This is, this is the bare minimum. What we know is Hillary Clinton basically paid for and bought an illegal surveillance warrant to spy on an American who was part of the opposition campaign. That's what she did through her buddies at DOJ, at the FBI, who are political appointees. These aren't agents. Most of these people are lawyers who are put there by Obama at the highest level. And she spent $12 million to buy opposition research that was from Russia. This is massive. This is Russian fantasy material that was taken to a secret court. And at the court, the FBI and the DOJ signed off at director level, hid the exculpatory evidence that this is opposition research and a surveillance warrant was issued. Legally, that's perjury and abuse of power. She bought a warrant to spy on an American, which is fine, fine in a banana republic, but not in America. You know, we have to remind ourselves, there's a very special reason why America since 1776 never created an MI5. We don't have a political police. We don't have an agency that's job is to spy on Americans. You have to go to a very special court 
you have to have really good proof that there's something suspicious happening before we'll allow you to spy on an American. Hillary bought that right. And last thing, Drew, this is the tip of the iceberg, because you know what's a bigger scandal than even this? The unmaskings. Oh, this the Samantha UN, Powers thing, yeah. When, when, when a UN, UN ambassador puts in more than 200 requests in one year to unmask U.S. nationals caught up in surveillance, she's not even part of the intelligence community, Drew. That's outrageous. So 2018 is going to be a mighty interesting year. Where, where do you stand on the Jeff Sessions question? I know there seems to be at least some tension between Trump and Jeff Sessions. I've always liked Sessions, but he, he, and now he says he's looking into FISA abuse. Uh, do you think he is going to get to the bottom of this? Do you think he is work this is something that interests him and has caught his imagination? I promised the president when I left that I'm not here. I I'm here to support him from the outside. I'm not going to attack individual members of his cabinet or his administration. Uh, I'll say, look, Jeff Sessions put his reputation on the line, the first senator to endorse candidate Trump. He's an honorable man. He's, he's, he's a good patriot. Uh, I'm not sure he understood the scope of the corruption at DOJ. Because the Obama administration politicized everything. I mean, they politicized the IRS. <laughs> I know, and, I know. Right? Yeah. right? Yeah. But the worst of the worst, and I know this from the people inside, the worst politicization <laughs> was DOJ. DOJ is a viper's den. Under the Obama administration, it became a weapon of the White House. So his job is a massive job. But I believe, he, I believe he's committed to, to getting to the bottom of it. But the problem is, Drew, our base, those who voted for Trump, are very impatient. I understand their impatience, but to do these things legally, because we believe in rule of law, takes time. Right. So patience. So, so you okay? So you're backing him. You, you just feel it's going to yeah. take time. Fair enough. Uh, I kind of feel the same way. I mean, I've always I've always liked the guy. He's never shown any kind of sign of dishonesty uh, or or bigotry. So I, I think uh, it's worth waiting for him. Um, the final thing I have to ask you is about this Russian, this indictment of 13 Russian trolls, which right. seem, it's, it does seem to me to be blown out of proportion, but we don't want these guys messing around with our country. The big uh, hit on Trump over, over this is that he doesn't seem to be angry about it. He hasn't come out and said, you know, that rotten Putin lied to my face. Uh, he always, you know, it's funny. The Trump administration has been very hard on Russia. They have been much harder on Russia than the Obama administration. There's just no question. There's no comparison. But the rhetoric isn't there. And that, you know, that's part of what the president does is, is speak from the bully pulpit. Is Trump missing an opportunity? Is there some reason that Trump doesn't see that he should be hammering Putin a little bit? I'm not sure I'm the best person to ask. My, my father was imprisoned by communists right. at the age of 20. Yeah. So, you know, I, I don't love former KGB colonels. So, yeah, I, 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 it would make my day to have the president rail against the Kremlin. But the president's a pragmatist. He knows this is bad, what they did. But again, it's very important to understand when he said, I'm not interested in making new enemies. He means that. He, he doesn't want to kick a hornet's nest unnecessarily. And in the case of, be very cautious here, this is, this is my area. When you're talking about information warfare and subterfuge, sometimes the best actions are covert, right? Mm. If you really want to deal with this, you do it in the classified arena with black programs, with classified programs. I can assure you, we can't discuss it here, Guess what? We're doing stuff about what Russia is doing in America right now as we are, you know, making this show. Um, does the president have to get on a soapbox and do it? I'd like him to. Does he have to? Not really. Hmm.
Sebastian Gorka, always good to talk to you. I'm glad uh, you're down at CPAC. I know it's a fun place to be. If you see Shapiro, uh, send them home. We, we need them. <laughs> <laughs> we need you here next year, Drew. Come on down. All right, I'll talk to you again. Thanks. Thanks, Drew. You know, he, I have to say, I, I, I always hate to give him questions in his wheelhouse because he's so good at what, what he does. But I think it really, this thing with the Obamagate is just fascinating. We'll talk about it more when the news quiets down a little bit. I just want to end this conversation about what happened yesterday, the difference between Donald Trump and CNN and Donald Trump and the opponents of gun rights. Uh, you know, one parent got up and said that he wanted uh, to see teachers armed in schools. And Trump responded, and he had a very positive response to this. So cut 10. Your concept and your idea about it's called concealed carry. And it's it only works where you have people very adept at using firearms, of which you have many. And it would be teachers and uh, coaches. If the coach had a firearm in his locker when he ran at this guy, that coach was very brave. Uh, saved a lot of lives, I suspect. But if he had a firearm, he wouldn't have had a run. He would have shot, and that would have been the end of it. And this would only be, obviously, for people that are very adept at handling a gun. And it would be, it's called concealed carry, where a teacher would have a concealed gun on them. They'd go for special training, and they would uh, be there, and you would no longer have a gun-free zone. Gun-free zone to a maniac, because they're all cowards. A gun-free zone is let's go in and let's attack. And, and that is literally true. Amanda Presto on our own site today has uh, an article about this. According to the Crime Prevention Research Center, gun-free zones, areas where guns are prohibited, have been the target of more than 98% of all mass shootings. That's a staggering, that is an amazing, amazing number. So he's talking about having armed people. And the Arguments against this, in my opinion, are all emotional. Oh, they're teachers. They should teach. They shouldn't carry guns. Hey, if we have a problem, let them carry guns and make sure they're trained. Now, let's go back. Comparing Trump, comparing this dangerous, horrible, unstable man to CNN. Okay, which side are we on here? Here's their, CNN's legal expert, Jeffrey Tubin, reacting to this suggestion. Personally, I'm pro-ranker. I'm pro-vitriol. I am pro someone doing something about this rather than being polite <laughs> when you hear the president of the United States say the answer is to give every teacher in America a gun. That is insane. That is an insane idea. As um, uh, Mark, um, uh, Mark Barden, one of the fathers um, of, of a, who lost a child in, uh, who lost a child in, in Sandy Hook, whose wife is a teacher. I mean, seriously, did anybody go to school here? Does anybody remember their teachers? Do you think we should give all of them guns? But, but, I mean, do you, think, do you think they want guns? I mean, no, it's just what kind of country do we live in when we're talking about giving every teacher in America a gun? But the and fact that's a solution to this problem? So you, you have ears to hear with. You heard what Donald Trump said. He said, specially trained, adept people with guns. And you heard what Jeffrey Tubin said, give every teacher a gun. You can't give every teacher a gun. I mean, it's not even it's not even like reacting to what the president of the United States says. It's just complete. You know, Obama, uh, uh, Trump's popularity rating is now up to 48 percent, which is three percent higher than Obama's was at this point at, on this day. 
Okay, now I obviously polls have their, you know, margins of error and all this stuff. But I think that this is meat and drink, not just to him, but to us. I think to watch these people dissolve into hatred and, you know, he's calling for it. He's saying, I want rancor. I want vitriol. I want stupidity. I want ignorance. I want hysteria. I want hate. And I'm supposed to then say, oh, well, in that case, I'll give up my gun. And, you know, I mean, if you're going to hate me, if you're going to take my rights away, if you're going to gather crowds and you're going to script the news, you know, and you're going to basically be running a Pravda for the left, but the first thing that I want to do, I want to turn over my gun. I think if this, if you look at this week, this, you know, week with the start, have this tragedy in it. If you look at this as an argument between the left and the right, I think last night, the right won. And I think when you have one crowd calling for hysteria and the other crowd listening, maneuvering, compromising, even compromising, saying maybe we should raise the, the age of uh, buying a gun to 21, which I don't agree with and I don't think is ever going to happen. One side selling ignorance and the other selling, you know, listening, finding the way go, going forward. I, you know, I, this is still America. I think the side that is reasonable is going to win. All right, let's do stuff I like. So this is a, we always have the <laughs> we always have if you can see you if you're just listening you don't know this but we have this lovely little uh, you know image for stuff I like but all our other episode uh, you know segments have music you know so I I don't know from now on I'm just gonna sing it you know stuff I like stuff I like beep 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 stuff I, uh, and that's not gonna work all right. <laughs> so yesterday. I went to Disneyland, my daughter and her family and my grandson and her time. My, my daughter only had a child, so she would have an excuse to go to Disneyland, you know? It's like the kid is like, I don't want to go to, you're going to, I love Disneyland. No, she doesn't do that. But, but she, said, she said herself, I, I have the child as cover to get me into Disneyland, basically. She is a Disney fanatic. She loves Disneyland. And, you know, I was walking around. The place is crowded. It's Yesterday was Wednesday. It's right after a holiday, so you'd think things would be slow. It's not. I mean, it's it's a crowded place. And I was thinking, is there any other brand besides maybe the American flag? Is there any other brand anywhere that is as successful as Disneyland, as Disney has been? I mean, they call it the happiest place on earth. I think the Daily Wire is the happiest place on earth. But, you know, here when we have mice, we put out poison. You know, that's that's what keeps the place clean. We do have, you know, th that guy that you think is Ben Shapiro, but is really just a different cast member every day wearing a big Ben Shapiro head. But, but you know, the, it's it, amazing that this picture of a mouse, this drawing of a mouse is now has reached almost cultic proportions. It is an international symbol. It's an American symbol. It's a symbol of, like, entertainment and happiness and innocence and joy. The left is now working to destroy this with its identity politics. You know, in Hollywood now, I have this on absolutely good authority. On Hollywood now, producers and studios are calling up agents and saying, we need a black writer for this. We need a Latino writer. We need a female writer for this. Instead of, we need the best writer, we need the writer who does this, you know, who really knows what he's talking about. It, it really has gotten very ugly, and D Disney is kind of part of this. They've sworn, you know, while, while their guys are being carted out, they've had another, like, gay sex scandal over there. While, while their guys are being carted out the door for sexual impropriety, uh, you know, they've said, oh, we'll never have a princess rescued by a prince again. Yeah, because girls don't like seeing that, you know, which is ridiculous. Of course you should do it. You're not you're not changing minds. You're simply telling the stories that people want to hear. I think identity politics has damaged the brand. If if the if the left can destroy the NFL 
it can destroy Disney too. I mean, this is a very successful company built by a Christian conservative guy who knew exactly uh, what America wanted to see. And you don't, a, a brand just doesn't become that. It has to be nurtured. It has to be uh, created. You have to give the audience what they want. And uh, Disney did that. And I don't think, I don't know if it's doing it anymore. However, since we're talking about stuff I like, I have to say the last movie, it's really Pixar, but Pixar is part of Disney now. The last movie I saw that I thought was great was Toy Story 3. And Toy Story 3 is the most right-wing movie ever made. I, I tweeted, I, I wrote an article about it. It was in the LA Times. I wrote an article in the LA Times and the director was screaming at me. He was tweeting, get your politics off my movie. But come on, it's all the little toys, you know, in Toy Story, all the toys come to life. First of all, this is about Andy, the kid who owns the toys, going to college. And I saw it with my son who was leaving for college like the next week or something like that. And we were wearing those 3D glasses and I almost drowned. You know, like tears were rising. I was like, but they, they send these toys to a daycare center. I think it's called Sunnyside. And one of the dumber toys, the bear, says, oh, there's a rainbow here, so it must be nice, you know. And Sunnyside, they offer to take care of everything. And Ken is lives there, and he is a uh, feminized man who does nothing but love clothes. And of course, this turns out to be the center of all evil. Here's the introduction where they pretend that Sunnyside is the Obama administration is going to take care of you from birth to death. But later we find out it is the center of all evil. Folks, if you want to step right this way. Hi, I'm Ken. Barbie, have we ever met? Uh -uh. I would have remembered. <laughs> Love your leg warmers. Nice ascot. Come on, Ken. Recess don't last forever. Right on, Lotso. This way, everybody. <laughs> you got a lot to look forward to, folks. The little ones love new toys. What a nice bear. And he smells like strawberries. Oh. <laughs> Folks, if I can share, here at Sunnyside, we've got, well, just about anything a toy could ask for. Spare parts, super glue, and enough fresh batteries to choke a hungry, hungry hippo. Think you're getting old? Ah. We'll stop your worrying. Our repair spa will keep you stuffed, puffed, <laughs> and lightly buffed. <laughs> and this, well, this is where I live. It's Ken's dream house. It has a disco, it's got a dune buggy, and a whole room just for trying on clothes. Everything. Everything except someone to share it with. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Toy Story uh, always represent has always been a story about America. The two heroes are Buzz Lightyear and uh, Woody is the uh, is the cowboy. The cowboy, obviously, America's past. Buzz Lightyear, America's space adventure future. In this movie, it's the cowboy. Uh, the figure of the lone American, the individualist America, who gets the fact that this place is no good, that this place that seems to be a, a paradise where you're taken care of is actually a trap. It is the guy from the future, Buzz Lightyear, who gets indoctrinated into being part of it. It is a great conservative movie. I wish conservatives would say this stuff out loud without putting it in cartoons and behind Batman masks. I wish they would just come out and make movies with these values, but we are still too stupid to realize. The right is too much, of, too philistine to realize that this is where minds are made and where minds are changed, that you wouldn't have as many of those uh, activist kids at CNN, at that lynch mob at CNN, you wouldn't have as many as if, if they were growing up in with movies and classes and news 
channels that they could turn to uh, that told them the truth about America, that really told them what America is based on. It is something we have just let go. Hey, today, I believe, is the day our beloved Lindsay Boring, who is the girl, the woo-hoo girl from our mailbag. She uh, used to be uh, my makeup uh, lady. She used to do all kinds of things here. Uh, but today is the day she's, she put out a picture. She tweeted this picture of her just yeah, she's just got like that baby looks like it's about to just walk out of there, and uh, I think she has she has scheduled the delivery uh, for today. So we uh, our prayers are with her and our love is with her. And I will end. She is a, a singer, talented singer. She does a lot of work down in Texas, and she wrote a song for Valentine's Day that I neglected to play. I was going to play it around Valentine's Day, but it's called Easy. And so we'll end with that. I'm Andrew Claven. This is the Andrew Claven Show. The Clavenless Weekend now begins, but survivors gather here on Monday, and we'll see you then. Clavin Show is produced by Robert Sterling. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Technical producer, Austin Stevens. Edited by Alex Zingaro. Audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. And our animations are by Cynthia Angulo and Jacob Jackson. The Andrew Clavin Show is a Daily Wire forward publishing production. Copyright forward publishing 2018.